Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Now, today's episode is a really special one. You know, normally when we plan these out, there's like a sales related theme or a marketing related theme. And this episode is called The Forgotten Territory. And the theme of this episode is the region of Atlantic Canada. Now, if you're listening to this as like a West Coast guy like me, or you live in the Midwest or California or somewhere like that, you might think, like, why do I need to know about Atlantic Canada? Well, hear me out because you do. I was really excited to talk with Zach and Malcolm and I actually just first heard about them through Grant Falco. So a couple years ago, me and Grant spoke at the HPB Expo in Dallas and Grant did a talk on social media. And afterwards, he met Mary from Compact Appliances Limited and they had Grant come out all the way to New Brunswick, Canada to speak at their yearly dealer conference on social media. And Grant called me multiple times on this trip being like, Tim, you would not believe this place. You wouldn't believe the people, the way that they do business and and how beautiful it is. You have got to make it out here. Now, I haven't made it out there yet in person, but I think one of these days I'm going to try to because I think that what they have is so special and I'm excited for you guys to hear about it. And actually, Atlantic Canada has become like an army of ambassadors for this podcast. I mean, I'm thinking about people like Kimberly Davis, who works for Compact, Peter Parsons, who's referenced in this episode, Raymond in Nova Scotia, Jared Connors. I mean, you go down the list. It's been amazing how this has taken off along the East Coast in Canada, and we're so thankful for it. But in this episode, you're going to hear Zach and Malcolm talk about their business model. They run a distribution company, and they service an area of about two and a half million people spread over just a massive amount of land. And they talk about how their biggest area of concentration is about 150,000 people. So most of what they do is very, very rural. And the Atlantic part of Canada is something for me, you know, growing up as like an American in, in Oregon, I didn't even know it existed, right? I thought that after Maine, there was nothing. But there's something really cool about what's going on there and their mentality to business, the way that they approach competition and the way that they're looking to grow their industry is very unique. So I'm going to let you listen to this conversation. I've got some really specific thoughts that I want to share after you've had a chance to hear it. Joining me from Sackville, New Brunswick is the owner and general manager of Compact Appliances Limited. I'm joined today by Zach and Malcolm Fisher. How are you guys doing? Welcome to the show. We're doing well. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. I am so excited for this conversation. I'm going to get into why in just a little bit. But for, for people that aren't familiar with you guys, I'd first just like to tee you up and ask you just about your business. Can you tell us what Compact Appliances Limited does? We're a wholesale distributor and in, in the as I guess is what we've promoted ourselves for many years as for alternatives, supplementary heating. Our history is is we're a Five Zach would be a fifth generation business in heating. You know, we'd start back. We we're an old foundry family. Um, not many people would remember the enterprise foundry, but it was in our family for over a hundred years. So heating is in our blood, and it all evolved from the early eighties 
when the oil embargoes hit and people were looking to alternatives from oil. It created, you know, my father and I in the early 80s with a very huge demand on alternative heating sources and basically wood, evolving around wood at that point in time. It certainly great, you know, created an opportunity for us, you know, to start a new business. You know, compact appliances give you a little bit of an explanation. It's a very misleading name. You know, people call us for refrigerators and washer and dryers and all of that thing. But at one point in time in the 70s, my father bought the assets of an Italian um, mini like bar fridge company that was set up close to us. And that's just the holding company name that we used. And, you know, after years of building the company, here we're still with the name. Is the name appropriate? Well, who knows? It doesn't matter. Yeah. It reminds me, I used to play guitar in punk rock bands, and the worst thing was always choosing the band name. And half the time, you'd end up with this horrendous band name. And it's like, well, you know what? Like, we're past the name. Like, we just move on. Like, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. We've branded ourselves these days just as compact. So I spoke to someone and asked, it's, it's just really, it's compact. Sure. Zach, how did you come on board? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also an interesting story. <laughs> Dad and mentioned it's we're a pretty entrepreneurial family. And for a lot of years, I really couldn't see myself coming to, to work at Compact. And it took me really several years to fully understand the opportunity and how wonderful it was to have the opportunity to work in family business. But I did start in one of our other businesses, which is an interesting side note. When Dad talked to me and you know offered uh, offered the opportunity, I came back initially into our wild blueberry farm, which is probably a little bit foreign for you, Tim. You guys on the West Coast grow highbush blueberries, but out east we've got a whole industry built around wild blueberries. I came into that business first, and through some different things that were going on in uh, in compact here and succession and things like that. I got moved over into Compact a couple years into that, and I'm still here. That's great. Well, and I'll confess my American ignorance here because when when I heard about you guys, it was from Grant Falco coming out there to take a trip, and we'll, we'll go there in just a second. But you're in New Brunswick, Canada, and for me, I just as a little kid looking at maps growing up of America, like the world ends at Maine, and Maine like was basically just like a peninsula with most of it being an island in the Atlantic Ocean, right? And that's actually not the case. The world does not end at Maine. It, I mean, I feel like the, this episode's titled The Forgotten Territory, just because I think that there's a lot of us that don't even think about Atlantic Canada. Yeah, you know, absolutely true. The interesting thing is, you know, you, you look at the Northeast U.S., we have a tremendous amount that we have in common. Atlantic Canada in the Northeast U.S., Still, not as much as it's been in the past, are the two markets in North America that are still heavily dependent on number two heating oil. The other thing is, is we supply electricity to the Northeast, you know, our provinces. We have Quebec, you know, to the West, but still the Northeast, if you take just the six New England states, don't don't include New York right off the bat, we're not, you're, the Northeast is not connected by grid or really just now pipeline, but very difficult to the rest of the, the United States. We're not connected by any, any kind of energy source to Western Canada or to Quebec West. We do not have a pipeline running into Atlantic Canada. 
and we do not have an electrical grid running in to Atlantic Canada. That's so interesting. So when it comes down to it, and, and you look at what we've built a business around, is New Brunswick, for example, you know, per capita have more people that heat their homes with central wood heating systems than any other province in the country. Mm. But they also, we have more people who heat their homes with electricity as a primary source of heat than any other province, maybe except for maybe Quebec. Because we have relatively cheap power and we have a lot of power generation. So part of one of those strengths, especially in the New Brunswick market, is everybody wants to supplement their electric heat. Sure. So they burn wood, they burn yeah. pellets, or they install gas. And again, we do have in the last 10 years, we do have a source of natural gas that was developed off of Nova Scotia. But that is not flowing from east to south anymore. The, the only gas that we get here, most people wouldn't know it, is really now flowing backward from Pennsylvania, the, the Virginias, some parts of the U.S., we're getting frack gas here. Interesting. Wow. And we're in a funny market where people really don't want to use a primary source of heat. They like the independence of knowing they can do it alternatively. So that's been a big strength in this market that allows us to do that. It's a huge wood-burning market. It's a huge biomass market. So I think one of the other things, Tim, about, you know, the geography and how people ended up here, the most interesting thing, it, it was a bit of a melting pot, Atlanta, Canada, which has now become the four provinces that we that we know today. But, you know, it was uh, in an area that was kind of disputed for a lot of years. We were never part of America. And we were a huge kind of deposit of loyalists that kind of left America and formed this part of the country. And then we got fought over by the French and the English. And today we're left with one fully bilingual French-English province, which is the province we live here in, in New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia, PEI, Newfoundland, all have their own stories as well. It's an area full kind of a lot of heritage, which I think really contributes to how proud people are to be from here. And as Dad mentioned, we've got Quebec right beside us which uh, most everyone would know that, you know, that's a, a full French 100%, you know, not 100%, but more than bilingual. It is uh, officially a French province, which creates another whole cultural thing that really kind of separates us from the mainstream Canadian culture that, you know, where the majority of the population is. So that all contributes to, uh, I think, what makes the people out here you know, a little more interesting than the rest of Canada. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, going back to what I was mentioning earlier, the, the way that I heard about you guys was I think that I had met Mary very briefly at the trade show a couple of years ago. She connected with Grant Falco and he came out to your guys' annual event to speak about social media to your dealer group. And he called me multiple times from that trip, just being like, Tim, you would not believe this place. Like you just, you wouldn't believe it. He was just blown away at the hospitality, at the beauty, at just the community that had been formed. Can you talk about that community in Atlantic Canada? Uh, <laughs> you know, where do you start? You know, we, we have a culture and let's say maybe in California and Washington, you might have, you know, five or six degrees of separation. You might find one in five people or one in six or seven people that might know someone that you know. 
We probably in Atlantic Canada, I would say maybe we have two degrees of separation, <laughs> you know, maybe three tops, maybe. right? Because it is the connection of it. But we also have a culture that is very friendly and warm. I refer to it, if you're walking down the street or you meet anybody from New York, you'll, they'll never look you in the eye, let alone talk to you eye to eye, face to face. You know, we walk down the street, we pass someone, we say, good morning. They say, good morning. You look at the person in the eye. So there, there's a lot of sincerity. That really translates through to, to the show. That show's been going on for a lot of years. It started in a church hall. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a quick little story. And, and this is, I know you've spoken to Stephen Schroeder in, in the early years. We used to work with Wolf Steel when, when Wolfgang was only making a couple models of wood stoves and <laughs> maybe four or 500 square feet. And you talk to him today and he would tell you how nervous he was, you know, presenting his product maybe five or 10 dealers. We would feed them on a small forced air wood burning barbecue. barbecue that, you know, was 16 inches in diameter and we could feed everybody with, with one fire at that point in time. Wow. It's evolved. And I think the thing is, it's, can we explain it all to you? No, we can't. It's, it's, it's something that we do. It's work. It's worked well. So what we do here, I think that's so different, is we have brought the industry together. There's not a lot of people. There's not a lot of competition. We don't have the opportunity to pull a line, move a line, pull a line, move a line that you do in larger populations. So we've had to make every relationship count. And we've had fun and it's, 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 it's made us successful, but it's also kept us extremely honest because we built a relationship with just about every person that's in the market. And sometimes those relationships break off, but we are able to rekindle them. And as we have done, you know, with manufacturers and, uh, you know, as I say to Zach, we don't burn bridges. We may disagree and someone may be upset and they'll try some other options, but you know, We'll welcome anybody back with open arms. I think the other thing that's really, we did for many years incentive trips. And we would take on, on the East Coast, you know, we do Mexico, we do the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Where you guys on the West Coast, you got the, you know, the, the West side of Mexico, you got Hawaii, you got, you know. But, you know, we were at the point of taking 100 plus people to the Caribbean. <laughs> And everybody in Atlantic Canada, because we have a long winter here, and we have four very definite seasons, which makes it a great place to live. But when we go on these trips and we keep people together, and I think we've been very good at, at doing our best to keep everybody involved and we treat everybody as equally and equitably as possible, but we've been forced to do that not that we don't want to, we love to do it, is when we go to the South and we take 110 people and you have competing dealers that through is they become friends. And for a week of holidays, you could have two competing dealers spend the week together sitting on the beach. Yeah. And they go to supper together. They, their wives become friends. And we have brought the industry together together 
you know, was it a little bit accidentally in the first? By all means. So we've given everybody that network, you know, to get back rekindle. And, and it's really still amazing the friendships that there are where you could in Seattle, Toronto, New York, never know your neighbor. I think it's, it's been interesting for me, Tim, kind of, you know, highlights of my year as a child were the industry softball tournament in the summer where all the dealers put a team in, contact put a team in, our trip south with all the dealers, and, and then the trade show ultimately. And, and, you know, those are just three examples of things that have, have built this community that we're so fortunate to have and, and have maintained for 30 plus years. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a friend I have that's out in Atlantic Canada, and, and he's made it a goal of his to win your Dealer of the Year award. And that, that's a big deal, that, that a dealer would actually care to win an award of how they are viewed by one of their suppliers. Like, that's a big deal. Can you, can you talk about, and I've heard a little bit about the criteria for these awards, and this is brilliant, because I think it actually makes dealers need to think about, like, are they yelling and screaming at your inside sales team? Can you talk about the criteria for these awards? Sure. I know Dad mentioned, you know, maybe a little bit this was accidentally, but I don't think so. You know, from from my perspective as the as the next generation next generation observing how things have been done really in all my life, and I've never been I've always been part of it. So you know that's quite a gift now at this point in my life to reflect on some of that. But everything we do and those you know the softball tournament, the show, um, the awards, it's all out of appreciation. Every single bit of it. The show was never treated as a selling show, and you know it, it still isn't. It's purely a dealer appreciation event because we, we firmly believe we've got to recognize um, these dealers that do you know do a phenomenal job, and you know not only are they in it for themselves, but they're in it for their communities, and they're doing a good job. So things that the criteria is interesting, and it's changed. There's still some, you know, purely sales awards, but in the last several years, yeah, the the dealer of the year is selected by the employees of Compact, not not Malcolm or I, by the employees of Compact. So we do a survey, and we won't give it all away, but because I don't want I don't want the dealers to, to learn too much <laughs> yeah. about it. They'll, they'll start you'll start gaming the system. Yeah, that's right. There is a criteria. Yeah. And, it's, and it goes as far as how polite you are on the phone. You know, if you fill out your warranty claims completely, all of these things. There's well over a dozen pieces of criteria that each employee in this building, yeah, rate each dealer. And it's, uh, you know, it's never the same. We haven't had too much. I know of, uh, there's been a few that are always up there, but uh, it's interesting. But I think what the most rewarding thing of it all is to see, and again, it, it wasn't on purpose, but that the dealers really strive for it. And I think that we started out, that probably wasn't the original point. Like I said, appreciation was first and foremost. But to see uh, the impact that these small awards that, you know, at the end of the day, don't mean a whole lot. They don't, don't seem like they should mean a whole lot. But the fact that dealers are you know, changing how they do business and mindfully thinking about the stuff on how to win the award. I think it's, it's really one of the ultimate compliments we can have. Oh, it is. And it's, it's brilliant on so many levels. Like one, 
you're training your customers to do business with you. So like if they have, if they have cleaner paperwork, if they fill out their warranty stuff, like that makes life better for you and better for them, but you're, you're incentivizing them and training them to actually do things the right way. I think the other thing, just from my experience running sales teams, like we used to have, we, we called it the belt. I, I went out and got this like kids WWF heavyweight title belt and it would and it would go to whoever had the highest sales that month and they would get to wear the belt around at work and you know brag to everybody else and it was just good natured fun but like there's no money tied to it or anything but like you you would not believe the how hard people would work to just try to get to wear the belt for a month and i and i'm the same way like i'm so competitive man if you're like hey tim i'll give you a t-shirt if you can you know just up your sales a little bit i'm like okay how much like i think there's that's just that's really cool Oh yeah, and we stay out of the uh, the financial rewards, but we do. We're, we're very aware that many of the dealers have some wagers on, <laughs> <laughs> which is also fun to see. That's great, and there are challenges which are kind of fun when you know when someone walks up to somebody else and says, "You know, it's mine next year." So <laughs> it is. You know, it's our our trade show, Tim. It, it is. It, it's how it works now. This is so good because I, I people that are listening to this need to pay attention because what you're doing is you're, you're realizing, especially for you guys being so remote, hardly anybody from our market is going to go to the trade show, right? To fly to New Orleans or Nashville. or I mean, that's a, that's a huge expense and a huge time commitment for, for dealers on your end. So it's almost like you've made your job to bring the HPB Expo to them. And that's really important because even in, even in U.S. markets, like, yeah, more of a percentage will go, but a lot of the U.S. markets might have more dealers proportionately. So I think that distributors everywhere should be thinking about their trade shows or their, their dealer events the same way that you guys do of like, how can we bring what happens at Expo to the people that are just never going to go? I think that's a really good approach. And I'll bet it makes you sell more too, even though the, the, the goal is to serve. But I think the byproduct of a great event like that is that people do business with you. Absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the longer term benefits. I know we were talking about a little earlier on on the community and and what, what I think's been done so well here over the years, you know, well before my time was that community building stuff. But that was a long term play. You know, that wasn't, you know, to gain business overnight. And what I've learned as, you know, a young guy in the industry and, you know, reflecting on all this is that long play is what's positioned this company to be successful now, 35 years later, and dealing with the same dealers, same people. And there's no reason we shouldn't expect that to continue for the next 35. You know, it's, it's uh, again, it's the ultimate compliment that people come and keep coming back to the show. But I think it's truly, um, they know what to expect. And I think the team here has always been able to deliver and uh, keep the value coming and all really show the appreciation. Tim, the fun thing is, is we can tell you our very first sale and we can tell you our second sale and we can tell you our third sale. And all of those first sales to those first stores or chimney sweep or bricklayers, they're still all customers. They may not be the same owners, now, but some are in succession, and they're the same family, or the, or the, or or this, you know, sometimes the same owner. But the fun part of it is, and we love to recognize that we have people who have sold their stores are no longer in the industry that still want to come to our open house mm-hmm. and our great shop. 
and they're invited. They're yeah. always invited. We have a hall of we have a wall of fame where people who have been significant customers and or people significant um, contributors to the industry. And you know, a lot of manufacturers don't want to go back to their factory and tell them how good it was because they don't want someone replacing them coming. Okay. People have tried to emulate it, but you got to have the culture. And we've been very fortunate for that. I think the one um, interesting thing about the wall of fame, which I, you may not, I don't know if you've probably I've heard about not known that Tim, but how into again, and you know, we talk about how some of this stuff, you know, by mistake happening, but all those guys are literally on plaques on our wall downstairs for all our staff to look at while we're working. So, you know, what better reminder to, you know, the folks in here, which are very much part of the community. It's not just, you know, us as ownership and sales folks, the guys downstairs, the guys picking the orders, everyone is as much as part of the community as anyone else. And uh, they have all those great relationships when these people come and visit. But I think for new people or junior employees to see that commitment to the, the community down there on the wall, you know, whether we meant it or not, it really, uh, I think, explains a lot about how we, how we operate. The, the difference is, is Atlantic Canadians, and I think this will hit home, is we bring people into our lives. We share our lives with people. I can tell you as a business owner, as I've, you know, you've traveled, you know, around the world, you travel extensively across North America to different manufacturers and business-wise, we get picked up at the airport, we get dropped off at the, at the hotel, we have a meeting, if we're lucky, we get to go to the office or maybe tour the facility, you know, we have lunch, we go back to the hotel, we catch our airplane and come home. But differently here, we bring them into our home. We bring them into our home and we feed them. And, you know, we have a few special delicacies here that we like to share. But we bring people, and I'll tell you, you know, how I think it's been so neat. Because, you know, Zach has, we have four children. Zach's the youngest. And we've always brought, whether it's an owner, a sales manager, or a sales rep, we've always brought them into our home. And we've shared. And it, it creates as we have with many dealers, and it's the same as with the trade show, we share our lives with them. The way our house is set up, we sort of have a long counter, an old store counter that we sit around. And Atlantic, Canada, everything happens in the kitchen. <laughs> if you have people over, if you have a party, it's in the kitchen. Everybody stands around the kitchen. And if you talk to Peter, you know, and, and a lot of this culture, their culture revolves around music and family. It's in the kitchen. I used, to, I used to cry, Tim, when I had to go to bed, when these uh, visitors from out of town were here, you know, for business and we'd have them over and uh, I'd get so upset as like a young kid, maybe 10, that I, uh, I was being forced out of the conversation <laughs> and sent to bed. Uh, I've got vivid memories of this uh, and these guys, we still deal with these guys today. And it's, uh, it's just pretty funny to think about. The conversation's changed a lot since then, I guess. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I, I mean, I'm thinking about all these people from the next generation, like the Schroeder brothers that are, that are now running the company, right? I mean, I, I imagine that you've like literally grown up with those guys, haven't you? Yeah, lots of folks like that. Stephen and I, uh, we, uh, interestingly enough, Napoleon and Compact took, 
10 years apart and now uh, we're doing business again together today, which has also been interesting. But um, Stephen and Chris, the one thing in getting to know them a lot better in the last several years is Wolfgang and Ingrid really, uh, you know, those early shows and bringing them into the community really made an impact on Wolfgang and Ingrid, obviously, because before we even got to meet Stephen and Chris, they knew about all this stuff before they got to start coming on their own. So we had Chris here for last year's show. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty fun for Wolfgang to tell the stories about dad and my grandfather and the first show in the church hall and being nervous. Like, he'll verify all that. <laughs> it's really neat to hear. And it's it's also really kind of rewarding to sit back and reflect on. And I think equally as rewarding for them to know, you know, that these these relationships have mattered, you know, 20, 30 years later, it's, you know, still business as usual. Well, still, and this is the other, it's a relationship and I think a very good mutual respect between Wolfgang and myself is I can remember Stephen and Chris under three years old. We started our business in my father's basement. Then Wolfgang and Ingrid, they came on a vacation to Atlantic Canada. And I remember those boys as toddlers running and tearing around. So it's, it's, um, it's been fun. There's been, you know, you look back and there's lots of stuff you value. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how it comes full circle. I, I think, I, I don't know of any other distributor that's done anything close to what you guys have done. I, I think from a manufacturing perspective, the only one I can think of is Travis Industries They've got a rabid dealer base and they've invested in, in some of the same things you guys have where my father-in-law was a Travis dealer for years and he sold his store probably three years ago or so. And he'd been out of the store for nine months, but he still called up his Travis rep and said, Hey, can I come up to the, you know, the, the yearly dealer conference? Cause I just want to say hi and, and bye to everybody that I've worked with for the last 25, 30 years. I think that that's really special. And I think that what that does is it, it buys you guys a lot of leeway. Like if you do make a mistake, if something goes wrong, like you've just like you said, it's been a slow process, but you've done the slow, hard work of building this relationship and that trust is not going to crumble overnight. And I think that that, that, that really allows you guys to, you know, if you make a mistake or something like that, you can own it. You're not at risk of losing an account or I mean, I, I just think it buys you a lot of leeway and credibility. Yeah. I, I think you you hit the nail on the head, Tim. And I mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, our reputation doesn't get challenged and, you know, all the all the regular disputes that come along with doing business. But I think it gives us here as staff and everyone here representing us the confidence to know that it's okay. You know, it's how we respond to these mistakes and that the relationship at the end of the day is, is still solid and there's still that respect is mutual and it's always been there and uh, I think it helps us certainly positions as well to deal with deal with our issues and get on with business I mean, sure. no one's perfect, nothing's perfect. we'll get back to our conversation with Zach and Malcolm Fisher in just one minute hey if you're listening to this during the busy season chances are that you're sitting at your desk you've got a stack of estimates that need to get out to customers that you haven't put the final touches on yet, your inbox is overflowing, and you've got more voicemails than you have time to return. And many of us think that that is life in the hearth industry. And what ends up happening a lot is that every year it happens, people are never ready for it, 
And all kinds of businesses lost because we're not able to make the most of what's in front of us. And a lot of this comes down to the fact that it is hard to write up an estimate. I mean, you think about like, what's it take to get an estimate for a customer? Well, I might be dealing with two to four manufacturers by the time I think about vent pipe, the fireplace, a hearth pad, and any other accessories that are needed for the job. I have a bunch of part numbers that I don't know off the top of my head. So I'm looking at four different PDFs or physical price books and I'm entering it all into my point of sale system. And then I get interrupted by a phone call and I have to start all over. And to make matters worse, you send the estimate to the customer just for them to write you back and say, oh, you know what? Can you actually bid me out for these other two models? And you have to start all over again. Well, the question that I have is, what if that was all taken care of? What if you could generate customized estimates instantaneously for your customers so that there is no time required to get these out? Do you think you could make more sales? Well, the answer is absolutely yes, and you need to check out Wi-Fi. This is an instant estimate generator that is fully customizable for your company, the situations that your customer has, and your product lines. Not only that, but all the estimates you generate are tracked inside of a sales management system so that your team actually has a process to be able to follow up with customers to close the deal. Now, to see this in action, you can go to wifire.com and there's a video right there on the homepage that'll explain this in detail, but you can sign up today and get this going for your company. Just think, no more time on Sunday night working through my estimates because they're done in real time when the customer's right there. This is a game changer and I can't wait for you to take advantage of it. You can sign up today by going to wifire.com. That's W-H-Y-F-I-R-E.com. One thing I want to ask you guys, how do you keep all the manufacturers happy? Because you guys have a lot of horses in your barn. How do you manage that? Yeah. And first of all, let us acknowledge the fact that, again, being in our tiny little market with, um, you know, a long ways away from manufacturing facilities for the most part, we totally understand that most manufacturers would never saddle up with us <laughs> or a business model like us in a big urban market. We totally get that. So that is a gift. I mean, we look at that as a gift. We've got Quebec that separates us from the rest of, you know, English speaking Canada and things in Quebec are a little a little different as far as what happens in Atlanta, Canada. So that acts like a barrier. Um, and then over to the south, we've got the main border. So those those things are pretty real. And that does keep us isolated. And honestly, in some ways, keeps, keeps competition away. Um, not that they don't come anyway. But it makes it easy for us to compete when they're not here, when they're, when they're having to fly in. Sure. But um, yeah, so we end up with, honestly, we feel the best lines in the industry. And uh, we think that's a huge, a huge gift that, you know, they have the confidence in us to, to represent them. Doesn't make, you know, there's always some awkward conversations. <laughs> but what, what we say and what I've heard my dad say for years is, you know, give us the opportunity. Let us earn it. Let us earn your respect. And, you know, at that point, we think that, you know, they'll trust us enough to know that we're going to deliver the best possible representation we can in this market. That being said... We probably have, for the sales reps, from the sales rep position, probably the hardest place to work in all of North America. <laughs> they've got 15 to 20 lines that they've got to you know, be well-versed in. They got to know the stuff. And that's, uh, we do recognize that. That's one of the big challenges. But again, we continue to do it. And I think we've you know, 
I don't see it being an issue. We can serve everyone very effectively. In the small market, Tim, we could have chosen to just be a small supplier, take on several lines. We've had the ambition to be a bigger and better company. So we don't have the options of when we go into a dense population. We can't pull a line and have an alternative. Might be, that alternative might be two hours away. So I think the thing as we've built it and as we've looked for more opportunity and where we've been able to satisfy many of our suppliers or manufacturers is we have the ability to sell something to everybody and do that honorably. The other, what our trade show, our incentive trips, everything where we've brought everybody to together, what it's done, it's kept us brutally honest. Many manufacturers, many distributors don't want many of their customers together in the same room because they don't want them talking. <laughs> A lot of different yeah. deals. We can't offer different deals. You know, we have a network of dealers that constantly talk. And if we were, if we do one person wrong, that goes through this industry quickly. And especially with electronic media today, you know, if someone says something, they're not happy and they tell the, you know, everybody knows within a very short period of time. So I would like to think that's kept us better. You know, we're not cutting side deals. We're not, it keeps us brutally honest. Mm -hmm. And we have to be straight. We have to provide what we provide for one person. We have to provide for the other person or they're, they're going to know. Yeah. I think that type of, this type of honesty we're talking about, again, has made us and the, and our customers stronger. It's not, it's not something that we resent at all, but it's also that type of activity that continually invests in the long game that we're playing here in this market with these dealers. Like it's, we don't want a two year relationship. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Well, I think, I, I think one thing I'll say Tim too, and I've lived by it for a long time. And I think Zach totally understands it is I would, we would rather earn someone's business or earn their respect. It's then harder to lose. If we come in guns a blazing and you do this, we do that. You know, we can lose that business tomorrow without the chance of ever getting it back. If we build a relationship and, you know, many dealers, we've started here, we've ended up here. It's like Peter, for example. We did very little business with Peter a long time ago. And we do a lot now, but we've earned it. And it's harder to lose that business Unless, you know, we can screw it up. There's no question about it. But it's harder to lose respect when you've earned respect. I think that that's important. One thing, I wrote this down, Malcolm, when you said it. Just that idea that many companies don't want their customers to get together in the same room. What, what you're talking about is brilliant. That if, I mean, I, I just, this, this translates, I mean, outside of business to so many areas of life. Like I actually use this as an analogy a lot when I'm like mentoring students and friends and stuff like that. Like, man, like when you're living in darkness, you're always afraid, but dude, like when the light shines and there's nothing to hide, 
all of a sudden, like you're empowered to do a lot of things. And when you're not afraid of your customers getting in the same room and what they're going to say to each other, that frees up so much focus and so many resources of yours to, to go out and do whatever it is the company needs to do. You're not always having to look over your shoulder. Oh, do they know this? What did, what did this person say to that person? Got to, let's keep our story straight. That is brilliant. And that tees me up in this next question that I just want to ask you, because I think I'm trying to think of like, what's the takeaway from this interview? And, and I truly think that there's an understanding that Atlantic Canadians have that the rest of our industry doesn't. And I want to ask you, what is that understanding? Well, if I can, I, I don't know if I can totally explain it to you, but, you know, we have a second company, as you know, in Northeast Distribution in Exeter, New Hampshire. And that company has been built on the same principles as this. And it works very similarly. It just doesn't have as many competing lines. But we have an open house. It's not a two-day affair like we have here. It's a one-day affair. But we have people driving 10, 12 plus more hours or flying to come to that open house. And in the last number of years when, you know, attendances we hear across North America, many, you know, uh, distributors or manufacturers are struggling to pull people together. Our numbers are growing and much of that principle is the same. So I think it's, it's the honesty you know, as I've said to Zach many times is all we need to do is treat people the way we want to be treated ourselves. And you know yourself in larger urban markets, more aggressive markets, and we have to earn everything that we get. We have to add value. You know, our customers, we talk to them by name. They're not a number, you know. It's hi, Bob. It's not, what's your customer number, you know. How are your kids? You know, there's a relationship that is, that's, that's so important. Zach will tell you, you know, we had the conversation earlier today. It's, we pick up the phone and we answer the phone. Now with the pandemic, and you might get me a little off topic here and then, you know, <laughs> as they said to me, you know, Zach said, Hey dad, you know, there's something you're not going to like if, if we got to start working remote, we're going to have to have an answering service because that can then direct things to people's homes. I go, well, if, if that's what it is, that's what it is. But I've been very adamant. A human answers the phone and a human passes on the message and a, you're not going to wait. It's, it's, it's a personal touch. And we deal against, we have one branch and we have lots of competition, especially in HVAC and others. You know, there's, there's nine, 10 branches around in urban markets. We can do it and compete from one location and it happens this way for us in the Northeast too. But it is, it's, it's just it's saying, thank you. It's not threatening. You know, we have an opportunity. We'd like you to consider this opportunity might work for you. It might not, but then we continue to, I would like to think present opportunities. We're in a small market. We want to continue. We've always wanted to continue to grow our company. So we have to find more opportunities. And if we bring our customers the opportunities, it enables us to, to do better, strengthen the relationship, and um, have a lot of fun. It's, we we want to have fun. It's, as Zach said, too, I'll back up a little bit. 
in the ball tournament. And I, I forget how important that was. It was the hot stove leak. Yeah. And, and <laughs> every distributor, when there were a few more distributors and manufacturers, they'd all, we'd all have teams. And when the two distributors met in the, the final game, we had fun, but everybody had fun. And then you leave that, you, you go, you know, eat and drink and be merry. And yeah. And, and, and we have a lot of fun and that's, it's part of our trade show too. We come, we do a little bit of work. We show a lot of appreciation, but we feed people well and we bring it all. We end it all up with a party. People want to be part of it. We have a lot of fun with it. And like Zach said, you know, we get to the point is, you know, this year is the first year ever that we've not in, in many years, we haven't had that get together. And the dealers have probably missed it more than us. We've missed it. They've missed it. But our promise is going to be bigger and better next year. We're going to make up for it. You know, yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. That's on the record. Please come. <laughs> Everybody's invited. I'll take a stab at the question, Tim. And, and I think what, yeah. what the Atlantic Canadians understand and whether we know we understand it or not. And it all goes back to, you know, a common thing I've said a few times here today is, this appreciation, you know, I think being in a remote place with, you know, not a huge population and, and knowing our neighbors and for the most case, knowing our customers before they become customers for a dealer, they, they probably know customer X that walked in, walked in off the street, whether they were a customer before or not, but being in the same community. And again, the sense of community that we've talked about isn't necessarily unique here at Compact, I think a lot of it is also unique to this region. So what happens, I find, and, and I think, you know, I'm in the I'm in the position where I can, you know, as the young guy get to look at this and kind of reflect as, you know, I didn't do this, he did, which is, I think, an incredible gift. But I can look, you know, and see appreciation we have for our customers, and it's the appreciation our customers have for their customers to know that they need to face them in the grocery store next week if their gas fireplace isn't lighting. So I think it creates this accountability and wanting to, you know, salvage that relationship, wanting to, you know, maintain that relationship and always have that relationship. You know, it creates just this, you know, overarching theme of community that you're not one and done. You know, we want you to keep coming back. We want to keep seeing you. And quite honestly, in this small area, we can't afford for them not to keep coming back. We can't afford to burn a bridge with a customer. That's, you know, that's a consumer dealer relationship and that's a dealer distributor relationship. And I think that's what makes, you know, our dealers successful. And in turn, you know, that gives us the, the privilege of serving our customers. Yeah, that's really good. Rounding out, I'd like to hear how is the transition gone and how is it going to, to really move you into this general manager VP of sales position, Zach. You want, you want to start? <laughs> it, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and it's, it's, you know, it hasn't come without its challenges. Everything we've said and talked about, we're still in an emotional bunch and we take a lot of pride. So, you know, it's a sensitive topic and as it would be for any family business going through it, you know, we've had help you know, to help us through succession and help guide us through it. I think that's, that's been huge and, and necessary for any family business. And that's just, you know, a general succession thing. But I think what really changed the game for me, Tim, and uh, to give dad a lot of credit here. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I never could see myself 
being here because, you know, I had other, you know, ambitions and things and other stuff that I've, I've still gone and done. And it's all stuff I, I've, I've known and seen all my life. But I mean, dad really helped me understanding kind of, you know, we've got something pretty good here. And, you know, this opportunity doesn't come along to everyone or every day. So I think it's been good. I think that that type of coaching from from my dad's kept me humble. You know, we've, we've had a lot of success. A lot of things have gone right. But I mean, it's, you know, it's a work in progress and it's, we can't, we can't get lazy and, and we can't, we can't, that can't be lost on, you know, on the next generation. It's, I think, you know, a key to the success is that, you know, we're carrying on what's already been done with a bit of a modern flair. Times are changing. The fabric of this company is really no different. So understanding the past and respecting the past and the decisions that made and have been made and, and what we talk about is you know he can have credit from everything up until now <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know the future you know one of these days I'll, I'll maybe jokingly i'll get some credit for something too but the future is yours <laughs> you know it, it's it is and that and i i think that's clear tim it's it's you know i've worked hard zach is going to work a lot smarter than i have I've, I've done the hard work to get it to where it's at and I think he can have a lot of fun working smarter than than I have and all the power to him because it is it's we're in a position it's a nice position and and it's going to be a fun position for him I think uh, one thing that's encouraging to me and again the customers deserve a lot of, a lot of credit we're still dealing with a lot of, of folks that dad's been dealing with for 30 years and honestly employees as well we've got you know the sales team that i manage you know day in day out they were all dealers they've all come from from the retail side of things all much older and much more experienced than me and their willingness to kind of you know teach me the ins and outs and as well as respond to me on some other aspects of things have been uh, to their credit amazing job i think that goes for all the staff Again, that sense of community, you don't have to look far for it. <laughs> it keeps kind of, keeps kind of showing, showing itself. That's so good. Man, Malcolm, I keep, I keep taking notes as you're talking here. What you said about the difference between hard work and smart work and generational transitions, that is money. And, and I'm thinking about a lot of the themes of the podcast recently have had to do with this transition in, in ownership because, I mean, I, I'm just convinced in the next 10 years – our industry is going to be at a crisis point where we need young people to start taking over these businesses. And a lot of the things that come up when I talk and can come in to work with businesses that are, that are in some regard, a family business, the business, there's almost always a disconnect between the older generation that wants to work hard, hard, hard. And the younger generation that wants to work smart, smart, smart. And I think that both answers are right. But I think that generally when, when you're building a business from scratch, you have to work hard. There's just, you know, who's going to answer the phones? We don't have anybody. I got to do it. The part is missing. Who's going to jump in the truck? I got to do it. That's working hard. And that's what it takes to build a business to a certain level. Once the business is there and you're bringing in a second generation, or maybe you're not a family business, you're bringing in a sales manager or a VP of sales or a director of marketing, whatever it is. Now's the transition where because we have more people, we have to start working smart. And it's a totally different skill set. It's a totally different muscle to flex. And there's a healthy tension between the two of those, like people that are younger that you know have all these ideas and are thinking about strategy and, well, how could these things work together? 
sometimes they need to be reminded that you got to put your nose to the grindstone and work hard. But vice versa, I think that for the older generation that has has built a company by the sweat of their brow, there are sometimes easier ways to do things now that we have more resources and more people. I love the way you articulated that, Malcolm. I think that's really insightful. I think the important thing for the younger generation and having, you know, living this every day, the most important piece of advice I could give would take a lot of time to understand the history and where it's come from. Yeah. And that deserves a lot of respect, whether it's the way things continue or not. That is, you know, what got us here. So it's, it's critical to recognize that. Yeah. What do you guys want to be known for when it's all said and done? I don't know. I, I, I think integrity is important. You know, I would rather, you know, someone speak well about us than not speak at all about us. And, and I, I would like to think it's, it's respect through the industry. We're a very small industry in the big scheme of things across North America. And, you know, hey, if we've made a, made a mark in somebody's life or we've made some influence, you know, I've coached a lot over the years, of, you know, in sports. And, and as I'll say to Zach, too, and Tim yourself is, you know, who's your grade one teacher? Oh, geez, I don't remember. Who's grade, grade two? Well, you know, the people you remember are the people who have had an impact or an influence on your life. You encounter a lot of people who take up time and space in your life, but haven't contributed to it. Whether it's an aunt, an uncle, a mother, a cousin, or someone you didn't know. And I've fortunately had a couple of people who have taken interest in my life that have helped me a lot. As Zach has had going on in his life right now. So... I think we have to draw from the life experiences and hope we make an impact and we make a difference in somebody's life. As an individual, I look at that. And I think the other, the fun part for us is, is if we can build prosperity for our customers and help them just not, and I, I don't want to insult anybody, we, we, we have a lot of great customers. We have a lot of people who work for a living not all are building a business. You know, they're, they're working for today. They're not working for tomorrow. And if we can help our customers build a better business, be a strong business partner, and, and create prosperity for them, that'll be good for me. I think it's important. And, I think, and you know, whether it's just been what I've picked up from the upbringing, but my upbringing, but along those same lines is, you know, if you've got the ability to pay it forward, then do it. And I think, you know, personally, as the second, third generation, technically, um, of this company and being in a position to, as dad said, make our customers stronger, uh, make our staff stronger, to leave some type of impact on folks in a positive way, whether it be our manufacturers, anything, it, it really doesn't matter. But I mean, use our, our privilege of, you know, being a business owner and, and, and being successful in business to make others equally as successful and, you know, move them along to the next step in life, not just customers, staff, anyone. The other part, Tim, which will help you, you know, we, we were in a market very much to ourselves with a, a couple other sort of more national distributors. And this is the same as when we moved into the U.S. and people told me I was absolutely crazy. And we've been down there very successfully for 20 years now. This is, I think, our 20th anniversary. And, you know, we're going to make our competition better or they're going to go out of business because we're not going out of business. 
And we've changed, I think, how a lot of people do business. And for people to come into this market and to compete with us, you know, and as I look at it, as I've said to Zach, you know, they want to eat our lunch. We can throw them a few scraps, but they're not going to eat our sandwich. Okay. Yeah. And so the ones that come in to try to compete with us and they're getting better, they're learning this market. But as long as we continue to gain market share, we know where our competition is positioned really quite well. If we were starting to lose market share and going backward, then we'd have concern that we've let our guard down. But as long as we maintain our principles and keep doing business with integrity, I believe that our customers appreciate that and then they're willing to continue to give us the business they give us. There's a lot of honor in that. Yeah, there is. I think that honor is one of the is one of the takeaways from this episode. I think that with everything you guys have talked about, there's a there's a code that is probably largely unsaid and unspoken that you adhere to, and that's been super super evident. I, I mean, I just, this conversation is going to give so much value and so much perspective to people. I'm just I'm thankful that you guys came on board. Thanks a ton for being on the show today. No, thank you, Tim. Dang. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Zach and Malcolm as much as I did. I'm telling you, I was humbled listening to them. I got a list of things here that I was writing down as I was thinking about the outro of this episode. And I just want to springboard off of some things that Malcolm said. I mean, I'm going to call these like Malcolmisms. You go down the list of the things that he talked about and like, this is how you do business. Listen to what he said at the end. His job is to create prosperity. Unbelievable. That is our job. Our job in this industry is to create prosperity for our customers. If you're a retailer, your job is to create prosperity. That means giving warmth and beauty and an increase in home value, a better way of living to the people that are buying your products. If you're a distributor, or if you're a manufacturer, your job is to create prosperity for the people that are buying from you. Allow them to have good products that they can sell at a good margin to make money to be generous with. That idea of creating prosperity is powerful, and it's one that you should be thinking about. I've never heard it put that way before, but man, Malcolm gets it, and that's a stewardship model. You are taking what you have and being generous towards others. Next up is working hard versus smart. I think this is just so practical. There's a there's a push and a pull. It's like a balancing act between the first generation and the next generation of a business. And I, I just think it's so true that when you're building a business from scratch, you have to work hard. You don't always have the luxury of working smart. And many companies in our industry that were started in the 70s or 80s, they're at a point now where it has been by the sweat of the brow that they've gotten to where they are. And that's amazing. That There's nothing to take away from that. But to get that company to the next level, it, it, it doesn't take more sweat. It takes working smarter because now we have something. You know, before we had nothing. And so we had to wrestle this thing into actually becoming a business. But now that we have a business and we have team members, we got to think strategically. How can we be more effective? How can we get people in the right position? How do we think about the strategy of where the business is going in the next five years and not just what do we need today? And I think that both of these approaches are right. You have to be able to work hard. But 
I'm just finding this all over the continent that when the second generation comes in, it is a different skill set if you want this thing to grow. Because like, I mean, with many retailers, for instance, like, you know, the truth is that if you're a, an owner that is still doing a lot of the day-to-day work, there's a ceiling. And that ceiling is as far as your arms can reach. And that's great to get the business to a certain level. But once it's there, the work starts of making investments to bring people in, to put in systems and processes to grow this thing further than your arms could ever reach. I've seen companies that are just crippled by this for a lot of reasons, but that idea of working hard versus smart, I think is is very common in comparing the generation that built a business to the generation that is taking it over. Next is just this idea that we have to add value. I mean, how many times do they say that? We have to add value. They understand that intimately. For them, I mean, if they burn a bridge, like they said, there's only so many customers. There's only so many dealers. They're not in a market of, you know, 20 million people covering seven states of the U.S. where, yeah, they can burn a couple bridges because there's more dealers out there. Doesn't exist for them. They take that seriously. And I think if there's one takeaway that I have from this conversation, it's that relationships matter. They really do. And for them, because of the trust that's been established, it's going to be hard for competition to come in and knock them off their throne. I'm not saying it can't happen if there's complacency, but it's going to be hard because they've got that respect. They've built that trust. You can do the same thing in your relationships with your customers. If you're a manufacturer or a distributor, your customers will give you the benefit of the doubt If you build that relationship, if you're a dealer and you work with architects, builders, remodelers, same thing, they will give you the benefit of the doubt if you have the relationship. And I'll preface this, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, that cultivating a relationship does not mean going golfing with your dealers. That's not cultivating the relationship. It comes down to actually giving them value, partnering with them, working with them to solve their problems, knowing the names of their kids, inviting them into your house. I mean, these are powerful, powerful things that make a difference. So my hope for you is that there's something here you can take away. I think that there's just so much with this idea of creating prosperity and really understanding that relationships matter and you need to go slow to build those. Like what they built has been 35 years in the making. It's not been overnight. So with that said, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash it's fire time. And we are so thankful for the people that are contributing every month. And honestly, like whatever you can give is terrific. I mean, this helps us outsource the administrative duties of this podcast so that we can keep the content level as high as possible. And I'm just going to shout out because he was referenced in this episode, you know, Steven Schroeder. And Malcolm is talking about meeting Steven as a toddler. You know, he's grown up. He's running Napoleon now. He's been a guest on the show. And they're a company that has come alongside to help this podcast continue to exist. And, and it's unbelievable. We are, we are thankful immensely for the contributions that they're making to our industry. So I'm going to get out of the way now and let you get back to your week. As always, we're going to be back next week to continue season five of the podcast. I'm so excited about what is in store for the rest of the season, but I hope that today just gave you tremendous value. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, 
and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.